Welcome to the Long Thread Podcast about spinning, stitching, and weaving by hand. The podcast is presented by Long Thread Media, publishers of Handwoven, Piecework, Spinoff, and Little Looms magazines. Find us online at longthreadmedia.com. This episode is sponsored by Trainway Silks. You'll find the largest variety of silk spinning fibers, silk yarn, and silk threads and ribbons at trainwaysilks.com. Choose from a rainbow of hand-dyed colors. Love natural? Their array of wild silk and silk blends provide choices beyond white. Trainway Silks, where superior quality and customer service are guaranteed. I'm your host, Longthread Media co-founder Anne Marrow. Sherry Berger may be best known to needleworkers as the founder of the Loopy U, a yarn store specializing in hand-dyed and unique yarns that she founded in 2006. She recently started a new company, the Colorado Cross Stitcher, and has passed the reins of the Loopy U to a longtime employee. I spoke with Sherry just as the Loopy U was reopening under new ownership. So thanks for joining me, Sherry. Hello, thanks for having me today, Anne. You recently started a business called the Colorado Cross Stitcher. What is it that drew you to cross-stitching in the last few years? Well, it used to be a big cross-stitcher back when I I started cross-stitching in college. And when my kids were little, I was a big cross-stitcher. And then I got to the point where my walls were filled with enough stitching and I'd given it to the people who would appreciate it. And I moved into the scrapbooking world and then I moved into the knitting world and I just didn't have time to do all of it. And then around 2017, so a couple of years before the pandemic, I saw on Instagram a stitched pattern that I thought, oh, I'd love to do that. Maybe I'll pick that up and just do that one thing. I was just going to do the one thing. And I stitched that. And then the more I got into the cross-stitching community, the more I saw different options for you know, you don't have to do one picture and put it on your wall forever. You could do seasonal things and have a seasonal wall and change those out with the seasons. You can finish things in little pin pillows for dough bowls and little drums and and finish things on different antique pieces. And it was just a whole different world. And, and in the meantime, the hand-dyed floss, the hand-dyed fabric. I mean, there was just so many fun options in, in the cross-stitching world that just kind of kept drawing me in. So being able to use the final product is important, but it sounds like it was still that you wanted to be doing the cross stitch rather than that you wanted to make something. Is that right? Yes. And, you know, there are people who are process stitchers and there are people who are product stitchers. And I I, actually I like both, but I really enjoy the process of stitching to me, picking up a needle and thread. And drawing it through beautiful fabrics is just relaxing. I can just feel myself relaxing when I sit down at night and pick up my stitching. And so for me, that's the part that I look forward to the most and and really love and enjoy doing. Now, are you seeing that a lot of people are kind of getting into cross-stitch now? Well, it's definitely grown over the last few years. And I think, you know, COVID has had a little bit to do with that. Um, people staying home wanting something. For me, during COVID, I tell people I needed something that was predictable, that stayed put when I put the stitches in, that I could count on. You know, everything was all up in arms during COVID, and we didn't know what was happening from one day to the next. And to have something that was so soothing and so, you know, 
just like I said, predictable. Like I could follow a pattern. I knew what it was going to turn out like. I knew what the results were going to be in a world that was upended with all kinds of uncertainty. And I think a lot of people have discovered that not only the calming aspect of stitching or embroidery or handwork with needles, but just also in a world that was crazy, this was something you could count on to just lower the blood pressure and enjoy your evenings. I suppose, do you think other people are being drawn to cross-stitch is a silly question to ask somebody who has started a business called the Colorado Cross-Stitcher. Clearly, you must be seeing other people getting into it. Well, and, you know, I mean, part of that for me was I I didn't want to start another business. You know, I was running the Loopy U, which I uh, started in 2006 as a knitting business and, of course, enjoyed that for so, so many years. And I thought, you know, I don't have time to do another business. But we had the space in the back of the Loopy U that we were going to use for classrooms. And, of course, we weren't doing classes during COVID. And I thought, well, maybe I could just add a few things back there. And that kind of, of course, snowballed too and and turned into a a much bigger business. I had been doing a YouTube video for cross-stitching for about, I guess, a year when I started the cross-stitching business. So I had already gotten into the community, already loved doing that. And this was just a natural next step for me. So cross-stitching is a particular kind of counted thread embroidery, right? Yes. So there is, there are things that you can buy that have printed X's on them in different colors. And then you just follow the print X um, and that's stamped cross stitch. And then what I do is counted cross stitch. So you look at a pattern and you count the squares and you place the colors and the X's in certain spots. And so that's the difference between counted cross stitch and stamped cross stitch. And then there's embroidery, which is all different kinds of stitches, not necessarily X's. And, you know, that's seen a resurgence as well. People are loving adding that to their jeans pockets or their tennis shoes, or, you know, there's really some fun things that people are doing with regular handmade embroidery too. And are you mostly focusing on just the cross stitch or is cross stitch sort of an entryway into various different kinds of stitching and embroidery? Well, I, I part of me says cross-stitching is a little easier than embroidery because, you know, it's very clear where you put your X, you know, both p- parts of your X. Whereas with embroidery, there are a lot of different stitches to learn. However, there are so many intricate, intricate patterns with cross-stitch that have nothing to do with simplicity at all. So you can do very simple things with counter cross-stitch or you could do very complex things. And in my shop, I'm really focusing on the counted cross stitch, although we have so many thread lines that are used all across the medium for, you know, embroiderers or stitchers. And of course, the fabrics the same way. Um, So we don't have patterns for embroidery per se, but we have the tools for embroidery for sure. Hand dyeing is something that really swept through the, the wool yarn, mostly knitting and crochet world. Is it newer to see it in embroidery? I think when I was getting out of cross-stitching, and it was probably the late 90s, very early 2000s, there was one, maybe one hand-dyed floss line. So that was very new back then. Uh, There were not hand-dyed fabrics. And so that is new in this community over the last probably decade, certainly new since I had done it back in the 90s. 
And that's just been really fun to see because much like the yarn hand dyers, you know, these are men and women who are doing cottage industries in their homes and able to make an income and just producing beautiful, beautiful work. So that adds a whole nother dimension and texture to your pieces, having different fabrics that, you know, maybe look like parchment or an antique map and then and then doing your piece on top of it. And the same with the hand-dyed flosses, you know, that just adds a little more movement and texture to the piece, which is really cool to see and makes each piece unique and different. I think one of the first times that I spent time with you was at the TNNA show, where there are often these whole long rows of printed canvases. And there tend to be themes. There are some that are very modern and some that are very holiday themed. And I'm sure that there were trends in those throughout the years that I went to TNNA. But there didn't seem to be as much change happening in the needle and thread part. Am I wrong there? Well, that at TNNA, it was a lot of it was needlepoint versus actual cross stitching. I remember my very first TNNA, which is in, I guess it was in 2006. There were a few cross stitching designer booths there, but most of what they had at TNNA and the canvases certainly were needlepoint. And I, I do feel like, I don't know if I would say fewer themes in needlepoint, but it seems like people in needlepointing like certain things. They like the beach things. They like the holiday things. They like the oriental, you know, beautiful pieces or the nature pieces. And so I do feel like that's a little bit different with cross-stitching. Um, what has become really popular in the last, well, I say the last few years because that's when I've been doing it, but is sampler reproduction. And so, you know, the designers are taking samplers that eight or nine-year-old girls and boys did 200, 250 years ago, and they're reproducing them in patterns now. They buy the old antique sampler and then they reproduce it because once they have it, they have the permission to reproduce it. And it's just fascinating to me. I was not a sampler stitcher prior to this. And now, of course, I want to stitch all the things and have a whole wall behind me of samplers. But it just, I can't imagine those those little kids. And again, you know, eight or nine, I've seen a sampler from a five-year-old. And you know that the needles back then were not very good to use. And the lighting certainly wasn't good. And just thinking of them sitting around maybe the fireplace or whatever in the evenings doing that, having no clue that in 2022, there would be hundreds of people restitching their beautiful work. I just, that's just fascinating to me. And there's such a sense of history involved. Certainly our Piecework magazine often has collections of samplers from different parts of the country, and they're, they're all very different from each other. Absolutely. And that's one of the things I love most about Peacemaker is all of the history that, that is shared in that magazine and all of the fun articles, because really think it's important to carry that through and pass that on. And um, so it's wonderful to see that happening. But back then they were actually counting on a plain ground, right? They weren't counting on a canvas? Uh, they were counting on cloth and linen. Yeah, a lot of most of the old samplers are cloth or really tiny, tiny linen. Like we typically stitch on well, anything from 14 count A to 56 count linen, they might have been stitching on 70 count linen, just teeny, teeny, tiny stitches. It's just incredible. It seems funny to think of something 
that involves really sharp, pointy things being relaxing, but maybe you just need to stab at something right now. (laughs) I think some people need to do that. Yeah. Actually, the needles we use for stitching are more tapestry needles. So they're not quite as sharp as, you know, the pointier needles, which, you know, I stitch in a way that I have my finger underneath the fabric so I can pop the needle back up. And I would have a hole in my finger if I was doing the sharp, sharp needles. So thankfully, we use tapestry needles. But yes, I think stabbing things right now is good for some people. (laughs) But the feeling of thread going through cloth always has sort of a a tactile pleasure around it. Yes, for sure. And also using the beautiful, you know, flosses and the beautiful fabrics and the beautiful silks. We stitch a lot with silk now and it's just, it's very tactile. And I, I do think that's a big part of the popularity of it as well. So what did make you decide to to take the leap from having this be something that you do just personally to something that you do professionally? Well, part of it was, you know, the changes that happened during COVID. Part of it was, you know, I had had the Loopy U for 16 years and it was always a family business for us. And my kids are both grown adults with other jobs and they were ready to get out of it. And I was finding myself doing more and more stitching in the evenings and less and less knitting. And so it just seemed like kind of a fun, natural progression, especially having the space in the shop to do it. And part of it was I just really would like to see this industry grow. And that was part of the reason I started a floss tube. The the cross stitching videos on YouTube are called floss tube. That's part of the reason I started my Colorado cross stitcher floss tube was to help promote the industry, even though I didn't have a business. And after doing that for a year, I thought, you know, I could do more by having a business and I knew I would enjoy it. And so I just kind of moved in that direction. But a big part of it is I really want to see this industry grow because I think a lot of people who do it are just passionately passionate about doing this. And I want to see that for more people. I have this habit of turning my hobby into my job as well. I I read, so I turned into a book editor and I knitted, so I turned into a knitting book editor. (laughs) So there's something about turning something that turning a passion from your private life into your into your professional life that I think becomes a habit. Yeah, and I've done that. And I swore I was not going to do that with cross stitching. In fact, I told my husband, this is the first hobby I've had that I haven't made into a business. And that, you know, is no longer true. <laughs> but I think a lot of people look at that and think, oh, it would be so fun to have a knitting shop or to be a book editor or to do this or do that. And it's so much work. I mean, as you know, it is so much work to turn a hobby into a business and, and then make it a successful business on top of that. So it's not for the faint of heart, but it, it sure brings a lot of joy and blessings if, if it's the thing for you. Because part of what you need to do if you have a business in one of these areas is not just think about what you love, but what other people who have sort of different variations on it would love. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I remember going to TNNA again and seeing all those needlepoint canvases. And I, I was needlepointing at the time. And I thought for a second, oh, should we add needlepointing in? That would be fun. And the bottom line was no, because I would just buy the canvases I like. And I'd have a hard time buying all of the different ones that I didn't care for that other people love. So you do have to keep that in mind as you're buying for your business. Not only, 
you know, when it was with Loopy, not only get the blues and the greens and the reds, but people like yellows and oranges too, which is not my favorite. And, you know, same with the cross stitching. I, I focus on the patterns and the designers that I love, but then I also add in others that I wouldn't necessarily stitch but are beautiful in and of themselves. And I know other people love that stuff. So, but it can be hard. Yeah, there's kind of a line between your sense of taste and the market versus personal preferences. And figuring out where it falls on those lines. Over the years that the Loopy U was open, I saw a lot of changes in knitting and they were changes that seemed to fit really well in what the shop was doing. Well, I mean, I tried to keep a handle on those changes and, you know, what's popular now and not only in terms of dyers and indie dyed versus commercially dyed, but also in terms of, you know, when we started, we were just going to be a sock yarn shop. And, um, you know, of course, that changed. Sock knitting was huge back then. And there are still pockets where it's huge, but people evolve in their knitting. And I think in any hobby or any craft, you evolve and the things that maybe drew you into it in the first place are not things that you'll necessarily be wanting to do 10 years down the road. And so just keeping an eye on, I I think it's always important to learn um, new skills and techniques within the craft that you choose and then see what direction that takes you. But being open to, you know, well, I used to knit socks and now I love knitting sweaters or I used to cross stitch little things on big counts. And now I want to do big things on little counts and, you know, just kind of evolve yourself as a crafter, if that's something that's interesting to you. I always felt like the Loopy U was a way that I got introduced to some really interesting dyers that I wouldn't otherwise know about, let alone be able to get my hands on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always had fun searching out dyers. And of course, when we started in 2006, that was before all of the dyers had their own websites. That was before a lot of yarn fest and markets and those kinds of things. So it was a little harder to find some of the individual dyers. And so that was always fun. And it was super fun to support these small, small businesses who were just so thrilled that people all over the world were now getting their their beautiful yarn because we sold it at Loopy and shipped it all over the world. So It was fun to be a part of a lot of small businesses and their growth like that. You know, you've mentioned fun a lot. And when I think about the way that that business grew, a lot of it was fun. There was a mascot, there were clubs, there was swag and and fun goodies. And having that sense of enjoyment and community for something that was essentially a web-based business. Yeah. It was hard to pull off. Yeah. Well, you know, again, when we started, Ravelry wasn't a thing. And, you know, so I did I did a blog and, you know, I had a lot of people that I felt like I made connections to on the blog. But I think everybody wants to know who's the person behind the business. Who am I giving my money to? Are they going to take good care of me? And that was always important to us. And then, you know, the things like you said, like the challenges and um, our camp was huge and continues to be huge every summer. And it's just a way to, to bring more fun into it, to give people a chance to connect with each other that might not have connected, you know, in any other way. And so, yeah, that was always a big part of the Loopy U. So for now, you're sharing a space with the Loopy U, but you were turned to an entirely different market. 
Yeah, we sold the Loopyu to one of my longtime employees, and I'm so excited for her. She's doing a fabulous job. The shop reopens online and in-store actually this weekend, so the end of April. So it's such a delight to see the shop continuing on. I'm so happy for that. I'm happy that I can still buy my yarn at the Loopyu too. So, And we are staying in the back section of the shop for now. And I told her I would stay through the end of the summer and then kind of see where that takes us and where I want to move the shop next. And so that's kind of the plan. But there are a lot of customers who do both. You know, there are customers who come in and say, oh, I used to cross stitch back in the 90s and I, I, my eyes are terrible. I can't do it anymore. And it's so fun to be able to share, you know, magnifiers are your friend. You need a floor lamp magnifier, you need readers, and you'll be able to do anything you want to do. So it's fun to see the crossover customers and uh, it's just fun to have the energy of both shops going. So that's good, too. You know, we talked about the difference in materials, but the difference in tools that you can use to make this craft more accessible has changed, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And we need that. You know, I mean, we need alternative ways to do the things we love to do, even as we get older or we have other handicaps that, you know, we we have to work around. And there are definitely tools of the trade now that weren't available even a decade or two ago. So that's been really great for helping people who want to do these kinds of things. I think you mentioned that you had intended for cross-stitch to be the the one hobby that didn't turn into a business. Besides knitting, what else have you made part of your livelihood as well as your passion? Uh, Well, I did a scrapbooking business for 15 years before I did knitting. And I started knitting a couple years before I started the Loopy U, of course. Um, and I started knitting because my daughter was a teenager and I wanted her to have a hobby. And I took her to Michael's and I said, okay, pick anything you want to do. So she tried rug hooking. She tried cross stitching. She tried, I think, bracelet making. And then uh, knitting was the thing that stuck. So I went from the scrapbooking industry to the knitting industry and then now to the cross stitching industry. And I tend to do them for a long time. So it's not like I've had like five or six or seven different hobbies that I turned into a business. It's really just the three. And then I just stick with it for a long time. So So I've heard of a lot of people who have learned to knit or crochet from a mother, grandmother, aunt. But it's always been something that the mother, grandmother, aunt does themselves and says, I'm going to teach you because this is what I do. But I don't know of anybody who has sort of followed the lead of the child and said, Whatever you want to do is what I want to help you do. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I think a lot of times kids grow up watching their grandmothers knit or crochet or stitch and say, I want to learn to do that. For me, when Julia was a teenager, I just thought, boy, hobbies have brought so much joy to my life. And I want her to have a hobby as well. And our son was already so into computers, so I knew he was good for hobbies which then turned into his vocation. But for Julia, she was into sports and I I knew that wasn't going to go forever. And I wanted her to have a little something that she could do on the side. So I really didn't care what it was. I just knew the value of hobbies in a life and wanted to find something that worked for her. The thread that follows all these, the thread, haha, the thread (laughs) that, the thread that follows all these too, actually, it's, 
creativity and working in fields that a lot of women love and find a lot of joy in. Yes, there are a lot of women who do a lot of these things. But as you know, like it was the men who started knitting, who were the knitters back, you know, hundreds of years ago. It was a a man's kind of a profession. And I don't know about cross-stitching. I'm sure the embroiderers of old were probably both men and women. But it has been wonderful in all of these industries to see the inclusivity of everybody, anybody who wants to do it and, and no stereotypes. And, you know, some of the very best designers are both men and women. And I love that. I, I love that it's accessible to all and it's people understand that it's it's relaxing, it's beneficial, it's a creative outlook for, for everybody. At the same time, it's only been in the craft world where I've looked around and the whole, say, C-suite or the whole leadership has been women. So having a a field where women are not only the customers, but the leaders as well is, you know, kind of fun and exciting. Yeah, that is very exciting. That is really cool. So Colorado has become such a part of you that you've made it part of the name of your business. But you guys only moved here about 10 years ago? 11 years ago, but my heart has always been in Colorado. We vacationed as a family here since I was really young. And in fact, my parents bought a little place up near Keystone, probably when I was in college. So we've been coming out to Colorado for a long time, at least twice a year for, I don't know. So my heart has always been here in the mountains. I know that doesn't make me a native. You know, there's a bumper sticker that says not a native, but I got here as fast as I could. And that's kind of what we feel like too. But when I started my floss tube YouTube channel, Colorado cross stitcher just seemed to kind of flow. And I, of course, had no idea I was going to make it into a business. It's kind of a long name for a business. It's not ideal for a business. But, you know, I thought, well, I've grown this community on YouTube and I, I want to kind of do that for continuity. So it's not the greatest name, but it cer- certainly describes who I am. Well, one of the changes that has certainly come about uh, in the past 15 years, I guess, is that you can be a, air quotes, local yarn store, but really be located anywhere. Yes, yes. And, And people appreciate that because unfortunately, you know, especially since, well, not even especially since COVID, that hasn't helped at all. But, you know, some smaller shops are closing because it's getting more and more difficult to have a brick and mortar store for so many reasons. And so you have people all over the country who don't have a local shop to go to, to see things in person, which is always ideal. So the fact that you can ship something to you know, Canada or Australia or Louisiana or Minnesota is really helpful to people who are isolated and don't have those local shops. And that's really, really beneficial because, you know, I didn't have a local shop either, very local to me for cross-stitching supplies. And I was ordering online and, you know, having done the Loopy U for 15, 16 years, I certainly knew that that would work well for people. So even though it had a really big online presence, and certainly the Colorado Cross Stitcher does as well, this isn't something that you're just running out of a back office. Is it important to you to have a physical location that people can walk into? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I'm doing it for now because, you know, I've got the space. 
but I'm also getting to an age where I'm ready to, you know, I said I've retired from the yarn business and I, I want to pull back a little bit on all of the time. I've started designing for cross-stitching and, you know, having to be in a retail location 10 to 5 and, you know, those hours are open hours, not the hours you spend there six days a week you know, I'm ready to pull back from that a little bit. So I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means I will find a rentable, affordable space that I can maybe limit the number of days I'm open, or if it means eventually I go to an online shop. Of course, I realize people love shopping in person and seeing things in person. I think Though part of that too is if you have really good photos on your website, if you provide good customer service, if they know they can email and get a quick response from you, then maybe it's not as important to have to be a brick and mortar as well. So for now, yes, we're doing that. Uh, will I do that for the next 10 years? I don't know that I'm going to do it for the next 10 years. Uh, you know, I might go to an online shop, but we'll just have to see. Right now it's working great and I'm loving it. And I, I love having the customers come in. I love seeing their projects. And so that's been super fun. You mentioned that you're doing more designing for cross-stitch. What do you think makes a good cross-stitch design? Oh, well, that's a million-dollar question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, I've just been designing things that I personally want to stitch and learning the design program. I'm not a techie person, so learning the design program was a good challenge for me when we talk about you know, going moving your technical skills or moving your creative skills. That was a good challenge for me. But I mostly just design things that I want to stitch my own self. There's a gamut of things that appeal to people. You know, there's there's quirky things that people love. There's antique reproductions that people love. And there's everything in between. So I think it's just finding what you want to make for yourself that you don't necessarily see on the market. And you design it. And if other people like it, then that's more power to you, too. Designing is never going to be a, you know, a major source of how I spend my time. But it's a a source that makes me happy, that that is fun to do for me. So in cross-stitch, the color is such an important part of it. Do people substitute different colors or threads in a design or is it more kit based? Well, you can certainly buy kits. I I personally am of the theory that you should make your stitched piece personal to you. And a lot of times when I'm stitching, I will change a color or lately, well, not lately, the last few years, I've been working on incorporating family names and birth dates and dates into stitched pieces. So I take the design from the designer and I think, how can I make this more personal to my family? So, you know, maybe Mary Elizabeth Alton did this in 1824. Do I want Mary Elizabeth Alton's name on my wall or do I want my grandmother's name on that particular piece to see on my wall? And I still put Mary Elizabeth Alton's name maybe in a smaller corner because I, I think it's important to keep that a part of the piece, too, for the history. But I'm a big big one on changing things and adapting things and making things more your own, which I talk a lot about on my um, YouTube channel, just because I'm always doing it. And sometimes that's color changes and sometimes it's motif changes and sometimes it's, you know, adding names in. But I think the more you get comfortable with whatever hobby you're doing, the easier it is to kind of substitute. You know, we used to have customers come in the 
yarn shop who wanted to make this sweater in this color that the pattern shows on the front and getting people to think, well, maybe maybe blue isn't your color. Maybe orange would look really pretty on you. Or, you know, maybe that hot pink is not so good for a whole sweater, but maybe, you know, a navy blue would look. So getting people to think beyond this is what it says and this is what I'm supposed to use. And so I need this exact thing and having helping them to discover their own creativity. I mean, it's really kind of learning to be confident in your own skills of, well, I'm not good at picking out colors and the designer picked the perfect colors, you know? Well, that's true, but maybe you already have a light blue at home that you love. Let's pop that one in there. Or So I think it's helping customers to build confidence and see they can make something unique to themselves that doesn't look like everybody else's version of that and then feel more of a connection to it. Because I think that that does make you feel more connected to it when you've somehow changed or personalized it to yourself. With hand-dyed threads, that adds a whole different dimension of challenge to it. It's sort of experimental and exciting or scary, depending on your perspective. Yeah. Hand-dyed threads are really interesting because, you know, just like with, and I keep referring to knitting, but uh, it it's a bigger a view of that. Just like when you knit with hand-dyed yarns, sometimes you have pooling or striping that goes on. The same thing happens with threads. And some people love that where they have like say they're doing a house and they have a whole corner of the house that's a lighter color because that's how the hand-dyed thread worked out. But you can mitigate that a little bit if you don't like that pooling look, just like, you know, you change your stitch count with knitting to kind of blend that more. With stitching, you just, you do a whole line of half the X and you come back and cross the X and it kind of blends your colors and mixes them up. So some people love all the splotchy and the same with fabrics. Some fabrics are very splotchy, the hand dyed fabrics, and some people love working around that and some people don't like that at all. So there's just so many options in nowadays, which makes everything, you know, a lot more enjoyable to work with. So you mentioned your YouTube channel and this is ignorance on my part, but because cross stitch follows a plan, I'm curious what you talk about on your YouTube channel. Well, I always uh, show my pro- what I'm working on. And like I said, I talk about if I've done any personalizing and changed the pattern because I always want to encourage people to um, make it their own. So I try and give them ideas for how they can do that. Um, I talk about different tools and different. Sometimes I talk about organizing things. You know, the first year I didn't have a shop, so I didn't do any shop talk. Now I limit the shop talk to the last five minutes because I still want it to be about my personal stitching journey and that's what people tuned in for from the beginning and so there's just different things to show and talk about and share and I don't know I'm amazed I have 25 I just did my 25th one and I thought when I did the first one maybe I'd do one and we'd see how it goes so (laughs) I I don't know what I've talked about for 25 (laughs) videos but it's it's been fun anyway you talked about personalization One of the things that can be trickiest, I certainly know in knitting and in stitching, is alphabets. How do you work with alphabets when you're personalizing something? Like if you, well, there there are books and um, patterns that have alphabet. A lot of patterns that have samplers will give you an alphabet. Also, if you want to add your own initials to it, which used to be the thing that we always did back in the '90s, we would put our initials in the date. 
So a lot of patterns come with alphabets. A lot of samplers have alphabets built into them. So you can just take those letters and do something else. But, you know, honestly, once you've done a few, it's it's not hard to just kind of generate your own letters. And you know, the thing about stitching is it's easy to undo a few X's if you were trying to do an S and that sure didn't turn out the way you thought it was supposed to look. So um, it's a lot easier, I think. I think it's a lot easier to personalize in stitching even than knitting because knitting, you've got a whole big pattern that you're going to wear in, in most cases that needs to fit. So I didn't do a lot of personalizing in my knitting. And that's one of the things I like about the stitching is it just adds, lets me add my own touch to things. You know, that alphabet question is something that comes up in stitching, but it can also come up in, in weaving. There are things like name drafts where you weave a name into a pattern, whether it shows up as a literal representation or not. I know folks who make inkle woven bands where they pick up certain threads to spell out a name. Yeah, cool. So it makes sense that in stitching, you can apply it directly. Yeah, I think that's a little easier. Doing names and words and weaving, it sounds very intimidating to me, <laughs> but I'm not a big weaver. So, but I think it's, it's neat when people can do some kind of personalizing to make things more their own. I keep coming back to these contrasts with knitting and cross-stitch. But I think those are big trends that have been part of people's work for a long time. So I'm going to do it again. One of the big differences, I think, between knitting and cross-stitch is that knitting tends to be more public. Most of the things that you knit, you wear out and people see you wearing them. And a lot of the things that you do in cross-stitch tend to be things that you have in your home or that you share with your family. Yeah, that's a good point. You you don't typically get to show things that you've stitched, um, but Instagram is really big in the stitching community. And I think that's the way that the stitchers share what they've done, the things they're working on. You know, a lot of people don't want to do videos, which is totally understandable. So being able to share it on Instagram is a way to say, hey, look what I made. You might like this too. And you know, so that's a way that a lot of people have done that. Of course, Facebook as well. But I think even in the stitching communities, Instagram is a little more popular for that kind of thing. And, you know, I know knitters are on Instagram and Facebook too. But for the stitchers, like you said, that's really the, the way that they can share what they're doing. And you can really get an up close look at it. If you looked at somebody's stitches when they were wearing them as closely as you can look at somebody's stitch piece on Instagram they would give you funny looks. Yes. Nobody wants you to come up and touch their shawl. Well, you know, some knitters would say, yeah, look at it. Feel this, how, how soft it is and how wonderful. But yeah, it's a little more acceptable to look very closely on Instagram than in person. <laughs> Do you think that your style and your taste are different from one to the other? In terms of what, I'm, what I want to work on or? So for example, if would you tend to choose something that was more contemporary or fashionable in one and more whimsical in the other? Or do you think that either one, no matter what, if or, or if you were scrapbooking as well, that I could say, oh, that's definitely Sherry right there, no matter what kind of medium? I think in scrapbooking, you could have said that about my, my albums. In stitching, probably not, because I do like to do different things. I, I like to do more whimsical things, maybe in the seasonal you know, like more whimsical if I'm going to do 
a dough bowl, you know, dough bowls, an old antique, big wooden bowl. And stitchers like to make little pillows or pin cushions and fill it with, you know, the seasonal stuff. I tend to be more whimsical, probably with my seasonal displays and more traditional in the samplers that I want to make and the things that I want on my wall all of the time. But for the seasonal stuff that you're swapping in and out, it's really fun to do some of the crazy stuff too. Do I want that on my wall all the time? Not necessarily, but a lot of people do. I will, but usually I want the more traditional things on my wall, but it's fun to stitch stuff too in person. So yeah, you probably couldn't tell from my stitching that that was me necessarily. So this new venture is really exciting. What are you looking forward to in it? You know, I we opened last September and um, it, we've grown so much. Even since last September, I kept taking over more and more space of the Loop U and I finally have put up, you know, walls, grids. I'm not going to move past that point. <laughs> so I think just my own personal journey and stitching and um, I'm always looking to discover new designers or new dyers or new thread dyers, just like I did with Loopy and discovering indie dyers and, and ways that I can support smaller businesses and bring attention to them. And, and also really looking forward to what I can do in the industry to encourage people to give cross-stitching a try. I, in my 25th floss tube, I have a challenge that I call each one teach one. And I've encouraged the people who watch to find one person that they can teach cross-stitching to, to kind of grow our community. And of course, you can do that with any craft. You know, if you're an embroiderer, teach somebody how to do that or, or teach one person a month and help grow that community. And same with the knitters. And so I'm looking forward to seeing where this industry goes in the next several years because it has grown so much in popularity. And it'll be really interesting to see where that takes where that takes us. So that's what I'm most looking forward to is the continued growth in the industry, both in terms of people who do it and people who do it as a business. That is a really cool thing about what we do is that you can be so excited about something that you genuinely can't wait to press it into somebody else's hand. I've had this experience that I've loved. I want you to have it too. Yeah. And it's fun to have friends who share the hobby with you because you know, you want somebody that you can text and say, I just found the most beautiful yarn. You've got to know about this dyer, or I just picked up this most beautiful piece of fabric. I'm thinking of these two patterns. What do you think? So you want people who have the same experience and the same background or knowledge of the craft that can give you opinions or get excited with you or yeah, it's just fun to have friends who do what you do. Well, I'm really lucky that you moved to my hometown so that I can come in in person. But <laughs> It's always fun but, to see you come in, Anne. <laughs> but folks who are interested in cross-stitch or even just peeking at what you do can find you at coloradocrossstitcher.com. Is that right? Yes, coloradocrossstitcher.com. And then on Flosstube, Colorado Crossstitcher, and also on Instagram, Colorado Crossstitcher. And it's uh, all smushed together. All, <laughs> all three words smushed together. <laughs> It's a long word, but it really does kind of trip off the tongue. I can see why you, I can see why it's stuck. Yeah. Well, like I said, I wasn't going to be a business, but it is now and it's all good. <laughs> good. Thanks so much, Sherry. Well, thanks for having me, Anne. It's been fun to talk to you today. Thanks to Trainway Silks for sponsoring this episode. 
Thank you for listening to the Long Thread Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate the show and leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Thanks again.